Good day, everybody, and welcome back to the Coach's Plan Podcast. Bienvenue et bonjour au podcast Plant Coach. I'm your co-host, P.L. Savoie, and we have a great discussion for you today. With us today, the founder of the not-for-profit Black Rock Initiative, which creates opportunities for more BIPOC youth to play the sport of curling, the operations coordinator of Team Mi'kmaq Nova Scotia, Team Nova Scotia mission staff for the 2019, 2022, and the 2023 Canada Games, has a wealth of knowledge in diversity and inclusion, having worked for organizations such as Curling Canada and the Government of Nova Scotia. Currently, the Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Mentorship Coach Lead for Canadian Sport Institute Atlantic. Please help me welcome, from Truro, Nova Scotia, Andrew Paris. So welcome, Andrew. Thanks for coming your time today with us. Thank you for having me, Pierre. Look, happy to be here. How's the weather? Are you in, uh, currently in Truro at the moment? Yeah, I'm at my place in Truro. It's, it's a pretty great day here today. It's same here in the Fredericton area. There, it's a bit cloudy outside. All right, let's get right into it. Seeing that you uh, you've done some business consulting in the past, and you have a, a, a background in business as well, and I recently started a, a job as a business consultant in Fredericton. So, uh, I, you know, we have that link right there. That's uh, kind of cool. And uh, I just want to know a little bit more about uh, your experiences on, on that end. What you know, I've seen that you've gone to Eastern College. What, what has your career uh, strived like since uh, since then? Sure. So, um. I always tell people, if you don't know what you want to do with life, go get yourself a degree in business administration because you have no idea where it will take you and it will open doors for you that you don't even realize exist. So I um, studied for a couple of years at Dow. Dow has the university in Halifax. And then um switched um, to um, Eastern College and took business administration there only because a degree in political science was going to get me any jobs, to be very honest about it. But um, yeah, so I was working for SNC Lavalin, the um, large engineering firm that everybody only knows because SNC Lavalin eventually got in trouble. <laughs> so um, I had worked there right at Eastern College for six years. And the only reason why I left that job was because, again, they got in trouble. So I went to go work in the... um in the not-for-profit space. And then a job opened up in sport, which I thought was really interesting because I never thought in a million years you could get paid to work in sport. So I started working with um, Nova Scotia Curling Association at the time as their technical director. And then I left, but you know, once you're in sport, um, you always have at least one foot in the door. So the, um, actually before, before I backtrack, um, I had gone to work a little bit in the private sector during COVID. That was a bit of a wild time. And then went to go work for the provincial government for a little bit. And then this position opened up with the um, Canadian Sport Institute at Atlantic. And I'm very privileged to get to do a job that I love. But at the end of the day, I always tell people, I even told my own kids this, get a job in business administration because there's so much more than just admin work or marketing and communications that you could end up doing. Like I said, it's definitely opened up doors and led me to where I'm at today. Awesome. No, I definitely agree with you on that front. Uh, being, you know, I've just been in sport for the past maybe a year or two, so very new to to the. I played sport in in my youth, but uh, in the sporting system as a as a professional, um, no, definitely something that uh, I've seen is there's a lot of uh, admin style tasks that the people have to encounter, right? Even if it is the sporting industry, the 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 day to day operations end up being a lot of administrative stuff, right? So, uh, yeah, no, I do agree with you 100%. Um, so I know we touched a bit on uh, your career, uh, how, how you you, um, you strive to to succeed in the sport industry and that you're you're very keen on on uh, staying in the sporting industry. 
what is something um, that uh, I would say the general audience maybe uh, listening might have a question or not a question, but a uh, less of a focus on was the equity, diversity and inclusion in Atlantic Canada. I know you have a, quite a bit of knowledge on that. What what does that necessarily mean for like the general public? If someone just hears those three words put together, what does that mean for Atlantic Canadians? What it means is um, what are you doing in sports? So whether it's a coach, a volunteer, volunteer administrator, what is it that you're doing to ensure that your team, that your league, that your organization is um, open and available to everybody? To put it even simpler than that, it means what are you doing within your organization to ensure that everybody can show up to play sport and be their true and authentic self? Awesome. That's that's uh, so for certainly for the youth going into to, to sport, um, you know, being society nowadays, being pushed in one way, different another and having a bunch of things thrown at you, being able to just be you when you walk into sport must be a feeling that um you know commits to not just the fun of the activity but also the success of your actual growth within um within that that sport right exactly 100% um similar to you Pierre Luke, I have a background in sport playing um curling volleyball basketball and even a little bit of baseball but for everybody not for everybody but um for most people being able to show up and truly be yourself is a bit of a challenge, especially if you come from a historically marginalized community. And I don't know about you, but some of my best memories come from sport. And I personally want to make sure that that happens for everybody. No, definitely. Yeah, I, I you know, I played uh, as every Canadian kid, Northern Canadian, Northern New Brunswick Canadian kid. I played hockey growing up and I, exactly the fond memories of, yes, being on the, on the ice or being on practice with your friends, but, but being in the hotel rooms or, or being in, in, you know, in, in groups and having activities that, that are outside of the realm of field of play definitely contributed to memories that I, you know, to this day, I might not remember the game that we lost the 5-0, but I, I do remember that, uh, that I had fun playing mini sticks in the hallways with the, with the team, right? So yeah, definitely, um, a uh, great point to add what to that point is there any like bit major barriers that you see that could prevent um you know someone from being their true self in sport today or, or uh, i'm sure there are but is there anything that come to mind to you that that's something that that should be maybe um looked at maybe a bit more in depthly there's all kinds of different barriers. It's some that are unique to um, specific sports, but the biggest one that I see in general is those who are running sports. So again, our coaches, sport administrators, volunteers. Um, the biggest barrier that I find is those individuals allow having their bias and privilege and sometimes lived experiences come in the way of allowing a individual from perhaps a different background to be able to participate and not face any sort of racism or discrimination. So for example, perhaps you as a sport administrator come from a background where perhaps you've never dealt with anybody from the 2SLGBTQ plus community, or perhaps you've never dealt with anybody from an indigenous community. So when you go to operate, we'll just say your soccer program, just as an example, 
perhaps sometimes you use the wrong language or perhaps you can't pronounce that little Muslim boy's name so you call him Joe because it's easier for you. Those things that we may see as little can be very big and to our earlier point, doesn't allow you to show up and have fun. On top of all that, the other issue that we find is because you don't have, because people don't have lived experience in a certain area, they sometimes tend to not know how to react when working with a individual, whether it's a young person, middle-aged or so on and so forth, from a particularly different environment. So I believe that the majority of us, when we're working in sport, when something happens, I truly don't think it comes from a racist or discriminatory intent. I think it comes from a lack of education. And I look at my job in particular, it's helping educate everybody. So again, every everybody in sport, no matter which background they come from, no matter how old they are, they're able to show up and really have some fun and be your authentic self. Awesome. And to that point as well, anyone um you know can take those steps and educate to educate themselves and to to you know better uh, perform on the field as an administrator and to make sure that the the youth or or the athletes of any age who are on the field with them you know are feel like you said welcome and appreciated and and know that they're valued being there and just being their true self so that's a really good point Andrew and I uh, really appreciate that uh, little uh, snippet of it uh, examples that you gave us um Going towards that, would how would equity, diversity, and inclusion affect maybe like a low-income uh, family? So when we go back and look at some of the biases that we perhaps have or some of the privilege that we perhaps have, it's the same thing. So when we talk about equity, diversity, and inclusion, it's not just based on the differences that we perhaps see. Because you can't look at somebody from a low socioeconomic background and say, oh yeah, you look like you you look like you're poor, pardon my language. But in reality, we have to be able to recognize that perhaps as a coach, for example, we come from a background where we've never struggled financially before. So really being able to understand, talk to and ask questions to a particular person who might be struggling from a low, low socioeconomic environment as to how we can help them show up and be their authentic self and show up and just simply have some fun. The reality is when we look at coaching at its core, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get our players, our athletes, our participants to teach them a new skill so they step outside their comfort zone and then become better. And then once they learn that new skill, we get them to step outside their comfort zone again and learn another skill. But we as coaches, sport administrators, again, that those individuals who help run our sport system from coast to coast to coast, we really struggle in general to step outside of our comfort zone to create that awesome sport experience for everybody. And I think that that's where it comes down to. There's always an opportunity to learn, not only for our athletes, but for everybody else involved in sport as well. Going into maybe um, personal experiences, you know, we've talked about it being on the administrative side of things and then you being in the professional world of sport for a few years. Would you have any um, examples or, or insight to to share with the audience today of, of like, 
something when you were an athlete that maybe stuck out to you that could have been better done or, or a barrier or, you know, equity, diversity, and inclusion aspects that could have been included that would have made your experience uh, growing up better? Oh, 100%. So I, I have two. So growing up, our family did not have a lot of money at all. In fact, quite often we, we participated in sport. There was a third party organization. So imagine like a kid sport, for example, that um, helped our family and my brother and sister as well be able to participate in sport. One of the things, biggest barriers that I find with those programs is that you have to lay everything out there in order to be able to qualify for that financial assistance. And although my parents really didn't talk about it often, you could see some of the emotions that I didn't necessarily recognize when I was saying like eight, nine years old, that now that I reflect, I recognize now some of the anxiety that they went through in applying for those programs. Not in terms of anxiety, in terms of whether they thought they were going to get approved or not, but almost and the anxiety, almost is, is a sense of embarrassment. I don't want to speak on behalf of my parents, but again, I, I could see it growing up. So that was one of the things where, yes, perhaps we've gotten funded to a for a specific baseball program, for example. But there was always, in my mind, the additional pressure to really participate and have fun because you knew exactly what your parents went through. And that's something that I always keep in my mind when we talk about athletes and participants from a low socioeconomic environment. The second one that sticks out for me, and I've spoken about this a few times, is when I was 13 years old, I went to curl in a tournament or a bond spiel as we call it. And during pregame practice, I threw my rock too hard and it slid through the house at the other end. And as I'm sheepishly embarrassed going up this ice, there was a coach on another sheet next to us. And he said, that's why black people don't curl. And he didn't use the term black people either. The reality is, though, is in that moment, nobody really said anything, even though I'm pretty sure he was within earshot of a couple of people. And because I didn't want to be a burden to my other teammates, I didn't say nothing until well after the fact. But the reality is, and I see this time after time again within our sports system, when something happens, those who aren't directly affected don't react. They tend to mind their own business, if you will. And very similar to if we saw physical abuse on a field of play, we as coaches would and sport administrators would have to speak up. And I want us to take the same mindset when it comes to racism and discrimination in sport as well. So those are two personal stories that immediately come to mind when you ask that question. Okay. Um, thank you for sharing, Andrew. A really, really good insight into, into how you know an athlete, you know, in this day and age, or could be facing barriers and facing discrimination in sport. And and I totally agree with you in the sense that it's you know 
say if you know bring it to to a school ground and you see some kid being being bullied and there's people just standing around watching it's this similar aspect in the sense that you know the the bystander needs to needs to speak up for it to actually have an impact and a change because uh, as you mentioned in, in your story um if if nobody else speaks up it, it kind of gets silenced and pushed under the rug if you will and and nothing gets done unless you know uh, it does get bring to, brought to light and often with cases like these and with modern day you know media you you see that things only come out after the fact as you said and later on and and those things kind of you know can have a detrimental impact on on the person who who actually felt the discrimination or exclusion because they're going to probably go through a couple of years of a wait period if you will to see if anything's actually going to happen about this this action right so um no de- definitely thank you for sharing Andrew and I, I hope that anybody who's listening uh you know can can somehow see or relate in, into these stories and and uh you know take it the aspects into their own personal life and, and sporting life so thank you um how long did you curl for? Um, I, I still curl. I've been curling now for 20 plus years. I, after 20 years, you just stop counting. <laughs> but I, I've been curling um, since I was eight years old. Um, took a few years off during um, university and college, but then picked the sport back up when um, my daughter decided she wanted to um, try curling. That would have been back in 2006, if I remember correctly. Okay. So I've been involved in this sport for a long time. Um, you've coached curling as well, correct? Yes. Um, I've coached at, um, at the provincial level and um, locally, um, both with my son and daughter, and of course, doing lots of coaching during my time as technical director with Nova Scotia Curling. Nice. Touching into maybe uh, uh, an event that uh, happened not too long ago, the 2023 Canada Games just wrapped up over a little uh, over six weeks ago, and I know you were there with uh, Team Nova Scotia. How was your experience uh, in PI? It was great. Um, it was great on multiple fronts. Number one, um, to get to go back home to PEI for the Canada Winter Games was a great experience. Got to... Um, have lots of time with family and um, friends that I grew up with. Um, secondarily, it was our best Winter Games performance ever as Team Nova Scotia. Um, while Congratulations. Were, <laughs> thank you. Um, while there were medals that uh, we expected, um, there were lots of surprises, great surprises. I immediately think back to the um, women's hockey team and the run that they went on to capture the silver medal. Um, separately for me personally, to get to watch um, the men's and women's curling team both win gold. Get, I've known a lot of those um, kids since they were young, since they first started curling, so to get to see them fulfill their dreams on the national stage was great. And then lastly, I went to the Canada Games as coach support for Team Nova Scotia. So to get to work with um, the coaches leading up into the games and then getting to see them perform and have conversations both before and after games to develop those relationships and to get to see them have their Canada Games moment was definitely awesome as well. Cool. I'm glad uh, you had a great time and a great experience. Um, kind of just to to merge two of the talking points that we we've discussed o- over the past little while. Um, from you know being a professional in the sporting world and an advocate for equity, diversity, and inclusion, 
How would you say the Canada Games Council and Host Society have been doing in the last three games in, in regards to that those aspects? I'll say that they're doing a better job than they they have been previously. Um, there were days where where we had acknowledged Pride Day, so um, getting to celebrate those athletes in the two S LGBTQ plus community. I know through the Aboriginal Aboriginal um, mentorship program, and I might be butchering that name a little bit, so I apologize. It was nice to um, get to work with the Coaches Association of Canada to get to acknowledge some of the Indigenous coaches um, that were in attendance as well. However, when it comes to creating environments where everybody can show up and be their authentic self, I still think there's a little bit of um, more room to go with that. Um, there was some great signage at each of the venues. I think that could have been a little bit more prominent. Um, there were opportunities for athletes of color to share their experiences while at the games. I think those opportunities could have been a bit more intentional. But if I'm being honest, you know, look, in all areas of sport, there's always better that we could be doing, and that's where I look to. But at the same time, I don't want that to take away from the Canada Games Council in terms of the great work that they're, that they're doing. So kudos to them for what they've done. Like you said, this is, would have been my third Canada Games that I've been involved with, specifically with Team Nova Scotia. And I can see a difference from my first games in Red Deer, Alberta in 2019 to these most recent games um, in PEI. So, yes, while there's more work that can be done, I, I do think the council should be applied for the work that they have done in that space so far. Awesome. And definitely, I, I kudos to them as well. I, I agree. I, I've been, this is my second Canada Games with Team NB um, and Novus in uh, PI. And uh, I agree with you 100% on to the, they've done a fantastic job. Uh, and improvement, improvement, improvement is always something that, that can be added. As long as there has been an improvement, uh, I know you've been to Canada Games a bit more, one more, a few more times than I have. So, um, as long as there is an improvement and there is sign of the devotion towards um, that, and there's always, you know, people are always working towards the goal of, of improvement and, and uh, that EDI becomes a standard and in sport, um, uh, I do feel as though it, at least there is that, right? Because if there isn't any improvement, then, or if we'd be going the opposite way and if there'd be reduction and that, that would be definitely a, a no-no into the, the sporting system that we'd like to, to build in Atlantic Canada, right? So um, definitely, definitely uh, cool to see that there, that you have seen improvement uh, in, in the Canada Games Council and, and the games as a whole over the past uh, three games. Exactly. And I, I think that's important um, for all of your listeners today that it's not about changing everything overnight, if you will. It's about really taking your organization, pointing it in the right direction where you say you're going to do improvements from an equity, diversity and inclusion lens and slowly but surely doing that. And we're certainly seeing that at the Canada Games as of late. And it, another important uh, point that I, I think that should be mentioned would be that, you know, Oftentimes you see not necessarily, I mean, this might be outside the realm of sport for a second, but sometimes you see nowadays with the media and acknowledgements and stuff like that, that some things don't necessarily always seem authentic. Uh, 
uh, it seems that still people are often doing things just because you know they're just it, it's the it's the trend or it's the in or it's the media is that so once you see improvement over a longer period of time that may be smaller improvements but that are improvements that are actually making an impact um, I see that as a really authentic value that that the organization or, or company is uh, is improving on overall scale, not just saying that they're doing things and then that it, it eventually doesn't really align with their core values, right? Exactly, 100%. We see that a lot actually in the um, sport realm with land acknowledgements, for example. So whether it's before an event, um, whether it's posted within the facility, land acknowledgements themselves don't really do anything towards truth and reconciliation with our indigenous friends who were here long before us as settlers. So the question that I always ask when I see a land acknowledgement is what else is your organization doing to work towards reconciliation with the local indigenous peoples in that area? Uh, that's a great, great point to add. Great question, essentially, yeah, because uh, it, it right away you'd be able to to see if, if an organization actually has strategies and structures in place to to actually do as they're say do as they're not told but do as they're actually saying to the public they're uh, you know including and, and reconciliating uh, with the indigenous people and if if just one simple question asking the organization and they can't answer that then you can kind of really see that something was really done out of a non-authentic point of view and just to be done just to say it was done Exactly. One of the things that I see often is for, and this is um, connected to what you just said, is we tend to complicate equity, diversity, inclusion, not only in sport, but just in life in general. And the question that I have for your listeners is, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this podcast, like I listen to this podcast, by the way, it's fantastic. Thank you. But um, if you're listening, it means that you love a specific sport, perhaps it's swimming, perhaps it's soccer, perhaps it's curling like myself. So if you love the sport, what is it that you're doing to allow, to pass on that love of sport to your participants, to your athletes, um, to young people, to middle-aged people, so on and so forth, but while still respecting and celebrating their differences? That's what equity, diversity, inclusion in sport is. It doesn't have to be this overly complicated and complex thing, but it's how you pass on the love of sport to everyone while respecting and celebrating their differences. Perfect. And would you also say that um, having that level of sport and sporting community in or level of sport in communities would inherently not just benefit, you know, individuals and morality and and you know being able to, to to play but overall just the community aspect of towns and cities and as a whole you know going to to events and seeing your neighbor and you know seeing all that but all of that big inclusion of going there but also knowing that it's not just that the event itself doesn't have any discrimination is inclusive to everyone that everyone who is there like you mentioned before it can be their true authentic self and that it becomes this kind of value as a community and not just remaining in sport, but just as a whole, making it better for everyone who lives in those communities um, and the economy and everything uh, around that. So yeah, would you say that sporting does help community building? 
Exactly. We often look, sometimes people look at equity, diversity, and inclusion as in order for historically marginalized communities to feel welcome, to feel accepted, to feel that sense of belonging, that another group has to lose out. But in reality, that's not the case at all. And if we can have sporting environments where everybody truly feels that sense of belonging and can be their authentic self, it only enhances the community. Like imagine if you showed up at a hockey game, just as an example, and everybody there was able to be their authentic self. You could look over to your left and see a see and chat with a family who perhaps comes with a different background from you, and you could both learn about each other's backgrounds in which you come from. Now take that one interaction and multiply that by everybody in the arena, by all the participants, and so on and so forth. Imagine how awesome that would be as that ripple effect then goes into your community. The community will only benefit from that. I also see that from like a youth standpoint. You know, if you see your your elders or your parents or your older sister or older brothers and stuff like that, and, and they're engaging in this style of, of you know, activities or this style of, uh, of interaction, um, that's probably something that you're going to take on to your own values as a young as a youngster, right? You might bring that into the playground or into the field of play yourself and, and making sure that, you know, having your parents in the stands talking with, uh, with another parent, parents that are culturally different and that it's okay. You guys are, like you said, discussing different things and just overall there for the same purpose and maybe have different values, but still there for the same purpose. And then you're the child or, or youth can, can take that and, you know, bring that to, like I said, the playground and field of play and, and making sure that from the bottom, um, we, they do have role models up top that are, are showing them that it, it's okay to be nice, you know, <laughs> like it's okay. To Exactly. Like one, one of the things we talked about earlier was the idea of bias. And a lot of times bias comes from a lack of lived experiences. So imagine as a young person, like, you know, in that eight to 10 year old range, you start to interact with people who are different than you, who come from different backgrounds. You, you get to learn about that at such a young age. That only benefits that person and in turn benefits their family as they then grow up those biases don't tend to take place and you become so much more knowledgeable, whether it's about um, those from the 2SLGBTQ plus community, whether it's those who are new to Canada, perhaps even in some cases it's from people who speak different languages. It only benefits um, the athlete or family in their community versus take something away. And would definitely say that it helps breaking down barriers, correct? Exactly, 100%. Awesome. Definitely uh, having communities work better together will inherently, you know, help and enhance our sporting systems and vice versa. Having sporting systems who work good together will inherently enhance the community. So I really think everybody wins in the sense that, you know, you, you can't really uh, fail. And I do appreciate uh, the the note that you're saying that once, you know, you're including specific groups, it doesn't mean excluding another one. It means including everyone and making sure everyone is equal. And oftentimes I do agree with you that sometimes, you know, people tend to see like the surface language or the, the headlines and stuff and, and tend to think that, oh, well, because this is happening, this has to not happen. But that's not the case because this is happening this should also happen and bring everything together. And that's what will really, you know, enhance the sporting system. 
Exactly, 100%. The only thing that's being excluded is things that go against, say, sport. And exactly. that's the things that we eventually want as a sport anyway. So it, like you said, it, it, it's a win-win. Everybody wins in this particular case. Perfect. And um, I'm cool that you touched on, on safe sport. Um, what aspect the uh, safe sport bring uh, to the equity, diversity, and inclusion kind of aspects? Perfect. I appreciate you asking that question. So when we look at safe sport quite often, we look at the absence of physical harm. So little Johnny has a concussion. Um, what are the steps that Johnny has to go through in order to return to the field of play? But the reality is, is the little Muslim girl showing up at the soccer field or the little black boy showing up at the ice and um, being told to either take off her hijab or perhaps a racial slur is thrown that little boy's way, that's a issue of safe sport because they can they no longer feel safe to show up and be their authentic self. So yes, it's a different type of harm. And I don't want to get into what I like to call the oppression Olympics, where we're starting to rank one level of oppression or one aspect of poor activity above another. It's not about that. It's about recognizing that psychological harm also plays a role in say sport. And that's ultimately what racism and discrimination is. It's a form of psychological harm that we as sport administrators need to pay more attention to as we're working even harder to ensure that our programs meet safe sport guidelines. And, you know, having that experience, if that little boy or little girl on the field of play, um, you know, experience things like that, I can't even imagine like things that adds on to their life because of that, like, you know, anxiety at night or, or just not being able to, to focus at school or not being able to generally feel included already in a community that, you know, oftentimes when you see marginalized group, it, it, it you know, they are immigrants to the country and that they're, they haven't been here for long and, and they're just trying to, you know, get into the new communities and, and having, you know, actions or, or, or interactions like that will yeah, definitely strive them away from, and trying to new, try new things or include themselves in sporting activities or just trying to better themselves in the community. Um, so yeah, definitely having those aspects removed or, or I would, I'll keep it at removed. I was going to say minimalized. But I don't even want to have them minimalized. I like them removed completely from sport um, would inherently enhance the youth's ability to not only excel at that sport but to feel welcome in that sport correct exactly that's actually a fantastic point Pierre Luke we have to remember that with these individuals from historically marginalized communities they're facing barriers and discrimination outside of sport wouldn't it be great if we could create a sport environment for them where for that two hours or for that day or however long they're playing that sport they can just show up and be, there are things that'll just be another member of the team versus having to be, say, Andrew, the Black athlete, or Peter, the Indigenous athlete, or so on and so forth, where who they are is directly attached to what they look like or where they come from. We just want them to show up and be their authentic self. Unfortunately, we as coaches and sport administrators can't directly do anything 
to perhaps eliminate or minimize some of the racism and discrimination they face outside of sport, but we have full control of creating the environment in which they enter when they go to play sport. That's I like great that. Thing. Oh, that's awesome. I, I definitely, definitely like that. And, and, you know, having that place, like you said, to just have that two hours a week that you can have your peace of mind, that not, that everything else going on in, in, in your life. And I've used this myself in sports sport, you know, that's my, you know, get, get away from work or, you know, release from school or anything like that. Like it's, it's my way to zone out and just be me. And, and, you know, for kids who, who come from, from these groups, um, I don't, you know, wouldn't want anything else but for them to be able to have that peace of mind because they're going through a lot more outside of sport, like you said, than any of us could probably even imagine. Exactly, 100%. Right on. Well, well, I guess we come to that time of the podcast, Andrew, where we're going to be on the closing remarks. But before we do get there, I just wanted to ask you, is there anything that you like to plug social media accounts, you know, your nonprofit, anything at all that you like to plug onto the podcast that you might want the audience to go take a look at at home? Sure. So I like to tell people that um, in order to be better, you have to educate yourself. And in order, and part of educating yourself is on social media, following those who speak about different topics on equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I happen to be one of those people. So you can follow me on Twitter. Um, oh my goodness, on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok, although I'm still trying to figure out how to use TikTok exactly. But you can follow me at The Curl and Dad. Um, also, a, I run a not-for-profit called the Black Rock Initiative. Our mission is twofold. First, we want to create opportunities for BIPOC youth to experience the sport of curling. And also, we provide curling clubs and centers with tools and resources to be more welcome and inclusive facility to their entire community. So if you search up the Black Rock Initiative, you can see our website at bricurlin.ca and you can find us on all the um, social media channels as well. Awesome. Well, I'll be certainly going to follow all of those myself right after this podcast. And I, I really suggest that they highly recommend that the audience do as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Andrew. I appreciate it. Um, I'm sure the audience appreciate it as well. Um, you've been tremendous. I really enjoyed talking to you, discussing about EDI and just generally having an insight onto your professional career in the sporting industry. So thank you so much. No problem, Thanks for having me. This was a ton of fun.